I'm Peyton, and this is the Free Body Podcast, the podcast for everybody. In today's episode, I talk with Stacey Lynn Gould, an actress and capital C creator based in New York City. Her body story begins in Seattle as an eager kid looking for her place in the world. And as we follow her determination to break the barriers put on her by society at large and at home, we get a glimpse into her life as an artist and her sheer willpower to never give up and to keep seeking her own truth. This is Stacy. As you were in the 80s, because I'm old. Um... <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm older. Um, but, you know, when we played outside, which we did all the time, uh, safety in hindsight, we weren't that safe. So mm-hmm. we would do um, kind of like a hide and seek tag kind of thing, which I've always hated tag because always makes me feel like I was being hunted. But there were these huge electrical transformers, like these big green metal boxes that hummed and like were completely live, but they were about like two and a half, three feet high. And so I'm like seven years old and I've always been a very short person. Um, and the goal was you could only be safe if you could get on top of the transformer. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. So when I was not it, <laughs> I just remember, and I've always been, you know, I think I started really putting on the chub when I was like probably around seven or eight, but definitely by the time I was 10 and 11. So if you're short and you're round and you played outside and everything, but I was a big couch potato because I've always loved TV and everything. So I was mm-hmm. not felt in any way. Um, so I just remember hiking my body up and breaking a serious sweat, trying to get on top of this transformer and the panic I would feel oh. knowing that my brother and my next door neighbors were on their way. <laughs> They're going to get you. Gonna oh, get God. And I'm there and I can almost reach it, but I can't hike my ass up there. Um, and man, is that a symbolism for my life? Wow. <laughs> For the rest of my life, I've just been h- trying to hike myself up on a dangerous precipice because something's chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> that's deep. That's a big, but isn't that's that a big a memory. Thing? Wow. It is. Yeah. I don't know. The more I think about it, I'm like, man, that is symbolism because that has really been it of like, reach that top girl, hike Did it up. Did you get up there? No. <laughs> Oh, no, and they got you. Of course they did. Every oh. time, every time, because oh, they could God. run faster. They were taller, and you know that's the thing is like. I also remember trying seven different ways to get up there. Like you, you, you try the the appropriate like run and jump, or yep. maybe it's like find a stone somewhere, make a step yeah. stool, <laughs> or maybe it's a hike one leg because I was always very flexible. So you know, like, maybe I could hike a leg all the way up. Get a leg all, all the, way the way to the top of the box. And, like muscle it. <laughs> oh my god. But nope, never that's... never figured that one out. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, yeah, there you go. That's that's just like, oh, this is something that my body just isn't gonna do. Isn't gonna do. In the moment, right now. Mm-hmm. There's no quick mm-hmm. fix for this. Not at a se- not when you're seven years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. But I just remember oh, that yeah. anxiety because that added being chased. It was just like, yeah, you only have five seconds till the end of the world. Here it is. The pressure. <laughs> yeah. The pressure. Very much. All right. So your brother, was he very much into like sports and exercising and or was it you? Like, how did that kind of relationship develop? Well, the thing is, is that even though I was a couch potato, I've always done every sport under the sun. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've half-assed my way through anything. 
Um, and he fast my way through. I can. I've always felt like I, I never a master of trades, but you know what is it like? That it's trade. jack of all I'll trades, but master of none. That is which I hate. Also, by the way, I agree. Um, <sighs> but that always is another one of those things that tap into my brain. Is like I yeah. can fake it till I make it. Almost anything, including sports, because I have tried yeah. every single one, hoping that one of them would be my gift, right. <laughs> and that I would fall in love with it. But my brother, yeah. he was always slim and he was always athletic and he um, he was a soccer player and stuff like that. And he I mean, we signed for everything that we signed up for. It was always like an arts and crafts, a musical instrument. And we were always doing some kind of sport. I was just bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I was never good at sports you ever. Know, I just couldn't hold my attention. I think that was the thing. It's like. I, they put me in the outfield because mm. the butterflies were more interesting. <laughs> I was wearing my mitt as a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> I was look, making daisy chains because that oh. was active. I couldn't stand there waiting for a ball. Anyway. You're like, okay, what's next? What's the next thing? That is a fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you were trying out all these sports as you were growing up and stuff, is there one that you can think of that Let's let's have a two-parter to this question. Is there one that you did really like? And then is there one that you really, really loathed? Um, I liked volleyball. Um, okay. Because, but here's the thing. I was always good at certain aspects, but never the full game. So, like, I was uh -huh. an incredible um, server, but I was too short to set the ball <laughs> and spike it. Do you know what I mean? God. I was always, yeah. like... Um, I did track and field, which I was an awful runner and gave myself shin splints all the time because I just ran the wrong way. But javelin, I was really good. Like, so it's always, it's always, I've done like baseball, softball, archery, um, soccer. Like I've done all of them where there's certain, they with soccer, they always put me on defense because I would kick the crap out of people. I never had a problem with going after someone and tripping them up. <laughs> But I could never score a goal because <laughs> I was never fast enough. I didn't have good aim, but I could kick the crap out of the ball. So it's always like, you know, I there were aspects of these things. But I also, I'm never going to enjoy something unless I'm really good at it. And I know that about myself. So that's why I never stuck with anything. And maybe there was small potential to become good at one of these things. But it wasn't a love enough for me to stick to it and get better, like theater ended up being, or things that I actually gravitated towards. It's just unfortunate that the things I gravitated towards were not a part of my childhood because, you know, your parents always, they sign you up for things that interest them or that they wish they could have done. And so the arts were not in my family at all in any way. So, you know, I never knew I could be naturally good at anything until probably late in high school. And I listened a lot to people in my family and um, generalizations of society in Seattle and area, like the mentality, every mentality is different, but like, mm -hmm. okay, that means success. All right, well, I'll do that. Or that means healthy. I'll do that. You know, that means right. acceptance or popularity. So I'll join that. Oh, you're right. smart. I'm smart. So I must have to be part of National Honor Society because that's what smart <laughs> people do. You know, right. so I think it's all these rules, these yeah. quote unquote rules and, and structures. I, I yeah. listened to it for forever. And I think that that probably did more damage than good. Mm. When did you, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely get there and this might be a later question, but I'm curious about when 
that started to break, like you started to break away from that, those structures and rules. Was it? I can actually pinpoint it to, to my first college um, because I chose my college based off of what my family wanted and what I thought was success was going to be. And it caused, oh, or I don't know if it caused is the right word, but I, I had my first huge bout of depression and I noticed that I used as a coping mechanism theater classes on the side. And it was the only thing that saved me other than a little bit of therapy there. Um, and then also for the first time in my life, I started going to a gym because it was free at um, college. And so, um, and I had never, I had never joined any kind of gym for any reason. Um, I did some ex exercising classes and things like that too. So I was starting to experiment going, I'm unhappy. I can't help handle myself. What can I do to give myself just a little bit of release? Um, and so after the first college I graduated, I started making my decisions and telling my parents no and telling the world no and basing it just on that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not until I was like 22 did I start really wow. going, if this doesn't resonate with me, it doesn't belong here. I mean, honestly, like for a 22 year old to be that um, aware is pretty impressive, actually. Like I, if I think back to 22, oh God, I don't want to, don't take <laughs> me back. I don't want to think of it. Oh no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's when it in the, in that new way starts. Cause you're just kind of getting out into the world, trying to try this whole adulting thing out. And there's still this residual stuff from childhood, very much like integrated into your into your life up to that point and you're just starting to try to kind of peel it away for you when you started going to the gym was it because you were doing research about what would make you feel better or was it was the impulse to go to the gym from something else like I'm curious about where that stemmed from and how you how you ended up just going Sure. Um, I think I mean unfortunately a lot of the my starts for any kind of health has always been off of something negative that has happened. It's not seeking something positive. It's, I can't stand myself right now. I've got to do something that feels, and I, this is terminology that I know now that I didn't use then, but something productive, efficient, useful. Um, and also I had gained so much weight my first year of college. Um, I had mono first, so I lost a whole bunch, but then when you learned it, to eat again <laughs> and and I didn't have any friends and then you have this uh cafeteria that is full-on free food eat as much as you want you know the meal plan like that was I ate my isolation so I was trying to undo the good work that I did to myself but also I had a friend um who was heavy like me um and not big on exercising but she was experimenting um and she was trying to socialize and so um, I just joined her, but I also remember, and I still do have these moments where I'll only use the machines that I know how to do, you know, and I won't ask anybody because there's just a little bit of shame and embarrassment and humiliation still stuck in there. Um, and also just insecurity and doing it wrong. And I don't want to be patronized and I'm just assuming that I'm going to be, you know, um, and the thing is, is at the gym. Most of the time, nobody is looking at you because they're looking at themselves. Um, in every mirror. In every mirror, <laughs> unless they're a skeevy man. Like, right. <laughs> and hey, they're out there. They're, they're out <laughs> there. But I remember going to the gym because I 
I was inside, I was screaming and I had to get something out. Um, and even then, like it was always, I loved those machines that had the TVs on it that would only play the audio. Oh, yeah, that's how I watched Law and Order. So I had to keep going if I wanted to finish the Law & Order episode. It was great. That was the genius of whoever technologically thought of that. It would only stay on as long as you kept going. Yeah, super smart. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like for someone who, after I left home, I've never had like TV, TV or cable really that I used. Mm -hmm. um, so I never like watched Law & Order and stuff like that. So when I was at the gym around the same age and like just trying out the gym just to see what's going on in this place, what's this hullabaloo about? Um, I remember like getting hooked on Law & Order episodes. You don't think we're going to owe Dobson an apology, do you? I hope Hallmark makes the right card. And... It, it, the machine wouldn't turn off, like the TV wouldn't turn off, but I would have to stay on that for the 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it was to finish that episode. And and I mean, I, you know, that, that helped me, I guess, get through cardio because I wasn't thinking about how much my body was like, I hate you. I hate this. I hate everything. Please stop. Please stop. Right. <laughs> Which in hindsight, I probably should have listened to. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're young. Um so I want to go back to high school just a little bit because I am curious about your transition when you found theater. Yeah. Late in high school mm -hmm. and and how that affected you and started to change you. And then also the decision of what college you went to and that you were doing theater on the side at this college. Can you just talk a little bit about that experience of figuring out the thing and then sure. choosing the other thing? Yeah. Like I was always singing and I had done you know, the school plays in elementary school and everything. And I remember the attention that I got because I was so animated. Like it was always a, an extra, <laughs> you know? And this is the way I've always felt with about attention is I like to be seen as good, but to be seen in general, it makes me very uncomfortable. Like I, if I had the perfect career in the future, it would be to be seen by my colleagues as exceptional and someone to work with, but not to be famous. Um, one feels like a violation to me. Um, so, uh, an invasive. So when it came to waiting to do theater, I wasn't sure I am a Libra and, and I put my toe in the water to test it first. And I'm not a big jumper in her, even though every time I've actually jumped in and said, my gut says, yes, um, it works out, but it takes a lot for my gut to shout loud enough for me to go, okay. You know, <laughs> so I didn't audition for a school play until I think my junior year. Um, and I have in terrible stage fright and, and anxiety. So, but on the other end, um, I had lost a little bit of weight. And so I was feeling better about myself too, because in high school, I was just known either as the misery chick or the, the best friend of the hot chicks. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that every all the guys would sit down and have deep conversations with about my friends so, yeah. you know and I on the other end too my family always has I know that they love me but they've never quite understood me um or genetics or metabolism um and so on one side I have uh Chinese on in my family and that mentality that goes with it, because already as a woman, you're not, you're a subordinate. And on top of mm -hmm. that, you're not allowed to be fat. Otherwise, no man will mm -hmm. love you or want you. 
um, right. and success from my gr Chinese grandmother's perspective was always um, if you marry a, a, a Chinese man doctor for who went to Stanford, you finally made it, you know? Right, right. And so it was always, and in oxymoron juxtaposition, like the first question comes out of her mouth when you come in the door is you eat yet. And then on the other end, she spends the next half an hour asking why you piggy piggy? Like, why are you fat? Oh gosh. And then on the other side of the family, like they were all American cheerleaders and always thin and runners and everything like that. So like I had people when I was 10, I remember my aunts like, basically bribing me to lose weight. If I lose 20 pounds, <gasps> she, she would fund me to come visit her in Monterey, you know? So it, it was always, wow. yeah. and the phrase that I always heard growing up is you have such a pretty face. If only, you know, um, you would be a knockout if you would, you know, so it's always that so mentality. Painful. It's very painful and it becomes your truth. I think that's the thing is like we parent children and we grow, like we, they, we don't realize how much the kids actually consider a period at the end of every sentence that you say. What you say is fact. And then we turn 22, we open the door and realize, shit, everybody's been lying to me. I got to <laughs> yeah. find my own truth. You know, yeah. or the fact that it was their fact is not my fact. So long story short, I finally got over a bunch of that stuff and just auditioned for school plays and things like that, got in them, leads and everything like that. And for the first time, I was able to quiet a lot of those voices that yeah. were telling me I wasn't enough. Like this was something that wasn't easy, but it was interesting. And it wasn't, well, here's the thing. I auditioned for a bunch of colleges because my dream was always to be Ivy League and to, because I always oh. wanted to be the best. I always yeah. wanted to be seen as, and this is always an overcompensation. If I'm fat, then at, at least I better be the best at something. So no one could mm -hmm. ever make me feel less. I got into a lot of colleges um, and got as far as like touring. And then when I finally was like, I'm going to go here, my parents were like, we can't afford that. I'm like, why did you... <laughs> So I went to a school that I didn't even want to, want to go to. I chose business because that's what smart people do, right? And everything. Right. So I guess I'll do business because that's where money is. That makes money, right? Yeah. And money is success, you know? Right. That shows right. that I'm successful. And then I noticed how incredibly depressed I was. there's a couple times in my life where I've looked at my life and going, if this is it, if this is as good as it gets, I'm in trouble. Um, so when I graduated, I, I can't remember. I was in a classroom my senior year and I saw an AMDA post and you just fill it out and send it in for free and you can get an audition. And I did it without telling my parents. And I auditioned without telling my parents <laughs> and wow. I, and I got in and I, when I, said to my parents, I got in. They're like, well, we're not paying for that. I said, I didn't ask you to. So you were already dealing with societal pressures coming to you through your family, yeah. right? I'm curious if once you started transitioning into the performing world, um, did anything new come up for you in that way? Was it helpful? Like, especially with dance and stuff, did you find that as a, as a different kind of healthy way to move your body or did it bring up some other you know some other things that maybe weren't super helpful sure um actually amdo 
in that way was surprisingly really good for me. Um, I was petrified, of course, because in our dances we had to wear unitards, and I never in my life have ever at that point worn anything that was skin tight. And by the end, I was it was like nothing, and that for me is is a huge part of my life is desensitizing stigmas that I put on myself, whether it be being around people that I admire, like you know any kind of famous or people or body or whatever it is, I want to be able to walk in the room and not the first words out of my mouth is not to say I'm sorry. I don't want to ever apologize for myself. And that and be, and that realization that even this skinny girl over here who has no curves at all, she is having a meltdown because she, you know she's so insecure with it. I'm like everybody is feeling this. And it seemed like there was a purpose too. It's like, oh, it's not just I am showing off skin. It's I need to see your lines in order to make sure you're doing this move right. So when you make things functional for me with purpose, I'm like, okay, fine. And on the other end, like I loved dance. I loved getting um, the science of it. I loved the action of it. I loved that I was the most fit I'd ever been. I loved the discipline of it. Discipline is great for me. Uh, to give me structure um, and to feel like you're getting better at something and that you're a part of something. So it was physically like, now, did they handle things in a healthy way as a um, institution? No, because they did not teach you <laughs> that you should right. stretch before and after. They just said stretch before and after. And they didn't teach you how to do that so that right. You know, my feet actually shrunk a half of a size because of the impact in the heels for the way that I used to be a size seven and I'm a six and a half now. And I have bad arthritis as well. Everything cracks and crinkles and everything. Um, but my toes had impacted so much that, and I couldn't afford the Laduca $300 shoes. So I had them, yeah, uh, them Capizio. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Those Capizio shoes. Not good for you, girl. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it makes sense. They're still in my freaking closet. Yeah, I don't know why. You know, I still have just them. in case someone needs you to do a, a two, four, six, eight, you know. <laughs> you know, you never know. You got to be ready. You never know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and even the yoga, looking back, I was like, who were these people teaching? That's not yoga. Yeah, no. You know? No. I, I have a lot of questions about so the yoga questions. teaching at that school. So many questions because... And I've learned this as I get older, especially like prep and recovery. I have very little patience for it, but it is now essential. It is necessary yeah. if you want to survive the journey. Yeah. So, um, you know, in some ways it was great in that it jump started. I think that was the first time I experienced like endorphins and um, how you can live off of those. And my momentum starts with that snowball that's very tiny and someone's just got to kick it down the hill. So it starts accumulating. Yeah. It forcing me to go to dance classes five days a week, <laughs> you know, kicked the ball Yeah. <laughs> so for a long time. I kept that momentum. So yeah, it was, and it felt so freeing making those decisions. And when you're brought up in, in a small community where everyone is like, everyone knows that Seattle Seahawks is, is their team and mm -hmm. you know that's their world and i look at my niece and nephew in denver and i'm thinking the same thing it was just like remember there are more options just because your parents and your friends don't know they're out there the world is bigger you're that auntie 
oh, I'm so that auntie. <laughs> Look at this when world like, out here. There's a big old world out there, kids. Isn't it neat? Absolutely. And and I see them testing too. And I remember looking at kids are looking for validation. Is this okay to want? Is this okay to dream? And when they say, well, I, I, I think I should be this. I'm like, okay, that's all right. What else do you like to do? Because if you show up there, you're going to find it. And when now all of a sudden you realize, oh, you want to be a video game programmer. Guess what? Those exist yeah. and they pay money. Yeah. Like they're pay good money. <laughs> Just because there's only three of them as opposed to 13,000 accountants in your zip code doesn't mean you can't be one of the three. Right. So, and I think it's, I'm such an advocate for that because no one told me Mm -hmm. it was possible. I remember the first time I did a half marathon, I only did it because um, an actor friend of mine, I said something very sassy and I was like, yeah, it is like me doing a half marathon, my ass getting in there doing 3.1 miles. And he just looked at me and it was stone cold serious. And he was very confused. He said, well, why couldn't you? And I just, you know, that kind of thing where you open your mouth and you go, ah. Yeah, system meltdown. You, <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally implosion. And then you sit back and go, wait a second. Why can't I? I love that he said that. That's me too. That's awesome. And you know, the thing is, is that person didn't even know that he short-circuited. <laughs> he didn't even know that that then set me on to ask questions, why can't you? It's amazing what people have the power to impress on you. Yeah. You just have to have an awareness that you could be impressing on somebody. Something that could alter everything. I think about sometimes if I ever have children or specifically a daughter, um, how I would handle, I mean, I would do the same for any gender, but uh, how I would handle, you know, talking about my body, Mm -hmm. um, talking about their body, bodies in general. I think I I babysat, this is so random, but I babysat for this family once and this little boy, he was like five years old, um, sweet, very anxious kid. I think he was already maybe on medication or his, his mother was a psychologist or psychiatrist too. And, and it was just this very, you could feel it was a very tightly wound household that this Mm -hmm. little kid is kind of just like vibrating with life. He might've been seven, honestly, he just seemed so small. And I'm coming in there and they're like bringing me in because like when I used to nanny, they would always want me to nanny these kids and help them come out of their shell because I was an actor. Right. So that was like their their hopeful goal. Like I couldn't teach them a language, but I could maybe like bring them out of their shell a little bit. Um, And this guy, this little guy was just vibrating. And I remembered that the and I was so confused by this. But one of the rules in the house for both of their kids, there was a, a little girl, too was you could never say anything like good job there was never you couldn't ever say something was good or something was bad oh lordy yeah and i was like well how do you teach anybody anything like like morality like how do you start that journey and i don't have that answer to that question but i was i it it comes to my mind now because if there was a rule in my house where you know it's like we don't we don't say anything about a body is good or bad you know it just is everybody is different and unique 
and mm-hmm. and the good or bad thing is such a you know like I I'm still retraining myself to say that my knees aren't bad like I don't have mm-hmm. bad knees you know I have knees with I have chronic knee pain but my knees are good you know they're good they're doing the best they can <laughs> and it's kind of like <laughs> like restructuring. I, you know, I've said this before, but like restructuring these neural pathways where because your mind is just so powerful um, that it can just affect you down to a cellular level. And if you are constantly replaying these these negative stories, these perceptions that aren't actually real, they'll become real. You can manifest them and it can actually perpetuate a thing. So, yeah, I was just thinking like I I don't exactly know what it would be, but I do know that. I'm going to I'm going to say this on this podcast and I love I love my mother dearly. Um <laughs> and she, you know, she's had a tough go of it as an actress in this crazy industry and sitting front seat and watching what it's done and how it's treated her and how she's talked about herself and her body and her beauty has definitely been something that I because I'm a product of that environment need to work through for myself. And it's like undoing these generational curses. I think we carry trauma too. Absolutely. And I, I, it's truths. It's somebody else's truth that you are imprinting on yourself. Mm. And I think that that's one of the things I'm working really hard right now is because I'm, it has become my truth. It is fact. And no matter how many times I, I can tell myself it's a lie and I try to restructure and rewire and um, I'm trying all kinds of new ways and things and learning and all this because I'm trying to make it not fact anymore. Mm-hmm. But every single time I hear um, what's appropriate and or what is holding me back from what I want or why I'm single, um, it's always yep. back to what my body is and isn't. And I even I even find myself overcompensating still or you know, it's comparing or at least I'm this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it is fact for me now. And I'm worried because that's not how I want to live. But when you've been 38 years into it, that's a long time to to have that as your truth. I'm not proud of thinking the way that I think, Mm -hmm. like, it's not like I'm like, I got this figured out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I look around on a personal level because I've been single a very long time um, and I've never been treated well by a man. So it's a whole different section, but I'm trying to also mold both of those, like my body and the attention that I get. Um, And what that said and trying not to take that in as something degrading. Right. So the attention I tend to get um, in New York City, especially, is the hooting hollering on the streets, mm-hmm. or the sexual harassment at work, or a constant um, predatory feel. Like if it has to do with my body, it is either disgust or lustful. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, invasive, and I don't do well with that. No woman should. Right. Um, but on the other end, like I'm looking for in my life or in around me healthy relationships and like what can I look at and go see that exists that's okay um and I look at it going no relationship that I know has a fit well put together man (laughs) if those exist 
um, a fit, well put together man with a woman who looked like me. Do you know what I mean? Or my age, or it like, and even in the business, like anyone over a size four, and that's probably being generous, who is my height has to be a Melissa McCarthy funny. Like if you, you have to, or if you are in something and you look like me and you're not a housewife mom, then in, it's like the Bechdel test. Like you have to talk about a man. You have to talk about your weight or it has to be addressed in some way. Again, these movies are apologizing for me looking the way I do. Yeah. So the society is telling me I'm not okay. Men are telling me I'm not okay because they're allowed to get, the women are allowed to get fat after they get married or if they have a baby, but you're not allowed to look like this. Like the immediate thought, and maybe like, I just live in a really cruel microcosm. I don't think so. But, (laughs) but like, if you see in, and I don't watch a lot of Paris Hilton stuff and all that stuff, Perez Hilton, but if you see a a fit man with a curvy woman, they're going to go, well, she must have a really good personality. Like, (laughs) you know, so it's always like, you want me to have this body positivity and be Mm -hmm. like, I'm okay the way I am. And yet everywhere I turn this from my family, friends, you know, all the world is telling me it's not okay. Yeah. You know, we have so so much farther to go. So much farther to go because I don't think they believe it. Mm -hmm. I'm again, are you telling me the truth? (laughs) Because you're showing me in casting and you're showing me in dating and you're showing me in my own family, but it's not okay. Yeah. Um, so for me, I try and one, not make it so much about my feelings and make it about science. Like, Mm -hmm. because I look for fact, I'm like, okay, so if you do this and this, it equals this, Mm -hmm. I will feel better. The point is not getting skinnier. It's feeling better. Right. Okay. You know, so I try and, and bring it down to very cellular level, um, even the moment. And also I try and forgive myself. Like if I'm making, and that, this is a huge thing is like, if I'm making a decision, because I'm just not one to be able to just go cold turkey and give up. You know, yeah. I just think I have a rebellious nature. I don't like being told no. (laughs) And I like being able to experience every single bit of this world. So it feels like if I'm never allowed to have ice cream again for the rest of my life, it feels like I am not able to experience the world in every way that I want to, because you took away my choice. It's not even ice cream because a lot of people are you know, not attached to things like that. But it's the thing is like, you took away a choice in my life that I am no longer allowed to have. Mm -hmm. So I try to forgive myself or if I can, I commit, (laughs) like if I'm buying this, I'm going to hit it hard. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to acknowledge that I've made that decision. Yeah. Do you know? And hopefully enjoy it. (laughs) Exactly. And then there's no guilt. There shouldn't be a regret. If there is, then don't do it. Right. Because the regret is what stops the snowball from going down the hill. Mm. It's what slows you down. It's what you hold on. It's what you lose sleep over. It's I couldn't, I shouldn't, I hadn't, I wouldn't have. It keeps you in the past. You punish yourself. And the past is never a good place to be. Yeah. It happened. You either learn for it from it or you forget it. Mm-hmm. I'm still working it out. But yeah. I think forgiveness has been the biggest thing for me right now. For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I, uh, 
And I don't know if it's something that's ever done. I don't think unless you reach nirvana that <laughs> all, all this stuff is going to go away because, I mean, it's just not realistic. Like, especially no, for I'm... people who are living in this particular world in this society every day. Absolutely. You're just inundated with all of this stuff happening all the time and all these images and messages coming at you. And it's like, if I can see a Instagram ad on my feed that makes me go, huh, okay, so I'm being targeted as a woman. I'm being targeted about weight because it's something mm -hmm. to do with some fitness thing or some, you know, use this waist trainer or try this diet thing or whatever the, the BS is. And it's a good day for me if I can see that ad and not take it personally. <laughs> totally, you know? totally. But you know, the thing is, is like, and, and I don't, here's the thing. I went away for a month in Iceland at a writing retreat. Oh, dreams. It was the best things I ever did for myself. One, I was incredibly scared because I'd never been by myself. And there were like four other artists there, but generally you just don't talk. You just do your thing. Right. So it was isolation in the boondocks. And I was scared because it was like, I've never been alone with myself that long. What if I don't like myself? And you know what, Peyton? I love the shit out of myself. That's right. I, was, I thought I was great. I yeah. didn't think about nothing. I actually ended up losing weight, but I didn't notice because I was busy living my life. Yeah. And that was the feeling that I want all the time is yeah. I don't want to think about my weight anymore. And it's a daily thought. And I don't want people to remind me what I am and am not. And that's the thing is like, it was a beautiful realization going, it wasn't that I hate myself. It's that I feel other people's, and this could be some projection, absolutely. But I feel I am reminded of bad thoughts or whatever it is, or bad truths mm -hmm. when I'm around others. And so what I can do for myself is find coping mechanisms and ways to block that out or to not put myself in those positions all the time. Now, being in, in the industry that I'm in, that is not possible completely. Right. Absolutely. But I, you have to remember what you can actually control. And Self-care has got to be number one. What is good for you? Whether or not you love those people, whether or not you need those people, nothing comes above that. And that you absolutely can control. So it is learning perspective and gratefulness as well as building your shell a little bit, a healthy shell, you know, so that you can then go underneath and create a safe space to then start dealing with it. Yeah. Because I think yeah. the thing is, is I always think um, my biggest issues are like a, a toddler having a tantrum in a Barnes and Noble. So specific. Because every time I'm in a Barnes and Noble, there's always some kid having a meltdown. And I'm just like, I just came into the self-help. Oh my God. Our initial reaction is just like, shut the kid up. Whatever you do, shut the kid up. <laughs> but we don't actually know if the meltdown has a deeper problem. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so, a good analogy. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, you're making so much noise. And when you have your life going on and you don't actually ask the toddler, <laughs> so why are you crying? <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Why is this happening? Also, it's the only way I've been able to truly be okay this year is going, forgive yourself, tolerate yourself, give yourself time, rest. Mm -hmm. But also when you're having a good day, use it 
to make this time useful so that when, and I do believe when things get better, you can hit the ground running and, and be closer to what, because how many times have you been so tired and overworked and go, yeah, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it. And you never will. You can actually go your entire life without dealing with your ish. I've seen people, you know, this is the luxury, the painful, annoying, awful mercury retrograde luxury of dealing with yourself. So I'm doing the best to, to try and do that work because I know the way I'm living is not healthy. And I know that the constant mantra that I tell myself is no one's going to love you and you're never going to have the career you want. And because of the way you look, you've hit your peak and it's going to be your fault. And that's horrific. I think that's probably the greatest fear is that this is as good as it gets. You were born to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be alone, you know, Yeah. because dot, 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 you're fat. I mean, how horrendous is that? It's horrendous. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. And I, it's not like I don't see my other um, benefits or what I have to offer. It's not that. But the whole point is that I have to shout those things because I want people to ignore the things that disgust me, you know, and it's, I'm not ginormously you know that's the thing it's like my body functions I run all the time like it's not like I'm failing at life but it's just it feels like it right right and that's you know and that's the uh, the really long process of work and self-care I mean it's all it's all linked to that and like and the scary oh, thing man. is that I don't know what will help me because I'm definitely right. a step-by-step person is like, if you give me a plan and you say that I'm going to reach that goal by following that plan, done. Like, right. No problem. My follow through is not a problem. Right. But if you can't promise me mm-hmm. that this plan is going work. to fix this problem, it's very hard for me to commit because then it'll feel like a waste of time. Right. right. <laughs> and it feels like the unknown. And like, if you're, yeah. if you're wading into the unknown, without any promises. I mean, and that's, that's, act, that's life, isn't it? That's that kind is of life. <laughs> that's exactly it. And I try to remind myself the whole point though is, and this is why I keep coming back to New York. Cause you know, I've tried to, to move three, yeah. four times out of that damn place. <laughs> and I finally found keep coming like, back. <laughs> he and I are getting along. Okay. Right now. That's like good. God that's bless good. her. And I've become incredibly loyal to her because New York is known you can count on it in some ways but it is unknown in so many ways and that no matter what though you could end up tomorrow is the best day ever but the next day could be the worst day ever but for me the flat line of of living in a cubicle and knowing my life 20 years down the line is the worst thing that worst day will be the best story i get to tell somebody do you know yeah. my life will be full of stories so i have to remind myself too is that when you're on the precipice of the unknown there's so many times going oh, but what if it goes wrong and we forget to say but what if it goes right you know and i'm trying to think that way as well with my body in that as long as i'm still moving and i'm still trying i mean that's the thing with life anyway is that it's not the end result it's are you still getting up are you still going forward, you know? And as long as I feel that, there's still a hope and a prayer and there's still goals that I want to meet as long as I'm trying to meet them for the right reason. 
Like, and that's why so many things never work is that you're reaching for something because you want a thing. You can't bribe your body. It just, in the long term, it doesn't work. But I'm, I'm putting all of my effort into trying to love it and listen to it and to keep the focus on the right thing. Like really, it's, is my brain working because my body is? Are my emotions good because my body is? It's not, do I fit in my jeans? You know, for me, it's always going to be related to mental. I think we're ready to move on to the tea, if you are. Okay, well, ring it. (laughs) Bring on the tea. I'm going (laughs) to sip my drink. You mentioned already that you were a runner, so I do have a runner theme for us to sip today. Right. I want to start with, because you were talking about the planning and, and like a program being beneficial, and I think you've done Couch to 5K. Did you do the whole program? I did actually couch to half marathon. Half so, marathon? Yeah, yeah. All right. That was 12 weeks long. Oh, my and God. to be perfectly honest, I wasn't completely couch. Um, I think 12 weeks is incredible for anybody, is incredibly fast to go from couch. <laughs> you, like, you yeah. Because the thing is, and I, my first half marathon, I made the mistake of not really understanding off training. So the rest days what it will do to your body, but also the, the four weeks following your half marathon. I was so proud of myself. I did it. I just stopped altogether. <laughs> and my joints and my hips, everything has been permanently hurt from it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wish that those couch to half marathons had the weeks following <laughs> and told you also, like, you can't just like, good job. <laughs> yeah. There's a recovery involved here. There is. Um, yeah. but I actually enjoyed that because again, I'm a planner. Like I have, and also because I've never, I was never taught to exercise or how to properly run or how any of that. So the idea of it being planned out for me and also like, I didn't know what cross training was. And mm-hmm. I just thought to do a, a half marathon, you just run and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> run right, as fast right. as you can. I mean, why would you think, honestly, like the way the way it looks with the media and stuff like I and and marathon runners that would come in and take like a yoga class, bless them. If they would get into a yoga class, I'd be so proud of them because they need it. You guys need it so, so badly. So bad. Because the impact on your joints and also the mentality of it, because that's really why I did it was because I'm not a runner. I hate running. I hate it. Um, Do you still hate it? I hate it. Oh, no, I hate it too. But it's a full body thing, but also a, the mental thing of it. It is a, yeah. a beauty, and you will never know until you actually do a half marathon, like how important the playlist is, but also where your mind goes when it, and it, this is the journey of life. Like, because like for me, it's mile three is like, what did I do to myself? You get to mile six, you're just like, oh my God, I have a well oiled machine. I could go for days. <laughs> I just feel like this is what I'm meant to be is the speed. I, I have to st- mile seven, you're just like, oh, I'm so hungry right now. I take it all back. Where, 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 where am I? Where, who am I? You get eight or nine, and it's just like, wait, my body is okay again? Oh my God, I just freedom. You get to 11, you're just like, 
I mean, I might as well keep on running for the rest of my life. I've gone this far. I don't care. And you get angry. Might as well Forrest Gump it. Forrest Gump. I mean, the the (laughs) mentality of going over and bang. And then the end, you're just like, it just feels like what life is, but you completed it and you did a good job. Like, I had sucked so many times in that, but I kept going. And I think that is a release that I am completely addicted to is that Mm -hmm. completing something that is incredibly difficult that you never thought you could ever do that your body had limitations, couldn't get up on that electrical (laughs) freaking, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're 70 year olds, you couldn't hike your body up and now you're running (laughs) 13.1 miles, you know, and I think that is satisfying. It's very satisfying, but you cannot do that overnight. Well, my aunt did it overnight, but my body Again, yeah. She, she she did a half marathon. She had done half marathons often. And so mm-hmm. she and she's a soccer player. This is the this is the aunt though that was like never understood until she turned 60, like that weight just comes on. She was always thin, right. but she did not understand. Uh, so she like maybe ran twice that week and then ran the half marathon with me and was stopped to take pictures and everything like that. And I had been working for six months and she's like, oh. did talking to people. Oh my God. And wow. this is a lesson. Like you have to understand that everybody is different. Every yeah. mental, like for some people, what I find is easy is going to be the hardest thing on the face of the planet for someone else. Just because it's not your gift doesn't mean you can't do it. But don't expect to be my Aunt Vicky running all over right. the circle. <laughs> Just you know? wake up and run a marathon. Oh, my God. That's incredible. It was and annoying. Um, <laughs> and very annoying. <laughs> but with the pouch to 5K, like the biggest thing is like, why are you doing it? It's mm-hmm. a great thing to build discipline, to com- feel a sense of completion for I mean, the interval training was a fascinating thing for me where it starts off as like, you'll run for three and walk for two. And I'm a run walker. So that was another thing is that you only once a week, you're running eight miles or whatever. And even then you run for seven and walk for one. So for me, that filtered into how I function. Like, that's just me. I am not like going to run the entire time. And actually my time is faster if I sprint and then walk, which I think is pretty much how I live my life anyways. I'm, live life. <laughs> I'm a sprint walker. It's funny so, how these things line up, you know? So much. Like I have to have a week of recovery after going hard in my life yeah. for six months. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for me, I like the, as long as you follow it and you, you realize like your body is different. Some people could mm-hmm. run for days. It's for the person who is not a runner like me, I think. Um, and wants to to start. All right, good. To, okay, good. So it's a yay. It's a yay to couch to five k yeah. half marathon <laughs> or half marathon. I will be doing my third one. I've decided I'm gonna do it. Well, um, you mentioned the like interval training, stop and starting, and I'm curious about <laughs> I'm curious about indoor marathoning because you brought it up. And at you know in the pre-interview, yeah. and, and I just like I I'm just curious what your understanding of indoor marathoning is, and how yeah I'm just gonna let you talk about that because I'm I had never heard of it and I'm <laughs> shocked and amazed. Now I might offend people runners with this, and that's fine <laughs> because again, like I am not part of any running clubs. I am an I am a solo runner. I don't run with people. 
because it gives me again anxiety that I'm not keeping up. Like, so I don't mean to offend anybody who's done all these indoor marathons, but and my understanding is from people that I know, like they're called virtual or indoor marathons because they can't run the actual ones in time of COVID. So people will have their treadmills or there was this one story of a person on their balcony, apartment balcony, just running back and forth for 13.1 miles. And again, if you <laughs> refer to what I'm I'm losing it. I'm saying, I'm losing it. <laughs> I, know. I just have I this image. Know. How big is the balcony? <laughs> not like a little big. pinball. Not just going back and forth. Not big. Oh, I would go crazy. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, for me, it is a mental release. So what kind of release would I feel if I'm literally running into walls back and forth? So when someone just wants you to still pay 60 bucks to do it at home. Yeah, you still got to oh pay for God. it. Do you have to pay? <laughs> Half marathons, marathons are not free. At home? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So for this final section, the cherry on top, it's just your parting wisdom, basically, that I like to, you know, give you the opportunity if maybe there's something that you haven't shared or if there's something that you just want to emphasize that you are hoping a listener will take away from your own body story oh my goodness um yeah because I'm such in the middle of it right now I don't even know but I think that that's it is that you just realize you're always in the middle of it like this is just not something that's ever going to end and I don't believe that those voices in my head are ever going to go away and I think that that was one of the things that I was almost abusive to them in trying to shove them out of my brain and make them disappear and it's a matter of for me now, understanding where they come from and either using them to flip the script and bring positive things to me or learning how to live with them so that they don't affect any outcome. But my biggest worry is that I don't mind. Of course, I want everything in the, in the world possible for myself and I got big dreams, but in the end, when it's all over, and if I don't get it, I don't want it to be my fault, you know? I don't want it to be because I wasn't brave and I wasn't kind and I wasn't, um, I didn't act, I just sat, you know? Because then for me, I that regret is built on that. So, as long as I do the work, and, and I also think like your dreams are, including what you wanna look like and how you wanna feel. Like if your intent is honest and you're doing the work and you're trying to be positive, that effort, like you're gonna end up somewhere if it's not where exactly you wanted to end up, you're gonna end up in a good place. Um, and as long as I still have hope in me and a fierce willpower, then I know I'm going to be fine. I think that there's a balance between giving up on, on an unhealthy expectation of myself, but also reaching a health that is better than where I'm at. Get out of my own way.
Thank you so much for listening and for your continual support of this podcast. Check out all the amazing projects Stacy has going on at her website, stacylynngool.com. More episodes are lined up, so please keep rating and reviewing the Freebod Pod. Every bit helps us reach more ears and get to tell more body stories. I'll be here next week. Until then, stay well.